0: Improv Discussion and Resources Podcast. My name is Chris Griswold. Today, my guest is Velvet Wells. Velvet is the Outreach and Inclusion Manager for the Nursery Theater in London, as well as the Director of Operations for the Black Improv Alliance. Velvet describes himself as black, autistic, queer, and velvet-voiced. We discuss the need for more black people in improv, taking space for yourself, and the allure of Europe. But first... We're sponsored by Pineapple, a video app designed for virtual improv. If you want effortless movement and a sense of connection in your virtual classes and shows, Pineapple is the platform for you. Try Pineapple, no final E, for free at get.pineapple.studio. That address again is get.pineapple.studio. If you'd like to discuss this episode, visit the Improv Discussion Resources Facebook group or the IDNR Discord. The links for both will be in the show notes. And now, my conversation with Velvet Wells.
1: The base goal really is, how do we get more black people in more improv spaces? And that's, you know, in terms of our page, it's the performances that we do. In terms of other people's pages, it's the workshops either leading or taking them. And uh, and that jazzed me. That is uh, something I did not really grow up with in in my journey. So if I can be that person reaching back, then I I feel like I've made it in the improv scene. Uh, in terms of the work that I specifically do, I. Do a lot of producing, so I wanted to bring that skill to it, and and we have something coming up for Pride, and then for everybody get in here festival, and for like just going forward, we we have a lot of ideas, and uh, and it's a matter of getting people in who are interested involved as quickly as we can.
0: Well, a lot of the people involved with Black Improv Alliance are people that I think of as being. Uh, not just forward thinking, but very proactive people. As you mentioned, Stephanie Ray, I mean, she's been uh, one of the, uh, the best people I've met during the pandemic. She's thinking about what needs to happen next and she's surrounded herself with some really amazing people.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, often we'll have conversations and one of us will initiate a a topic and the other one will be, yeah, 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 because we, we think very similarly. And that idea of seeing what the community needs or what we need for ourselves and putting that out there and attracting the people who are also on board with it or can support in some way. Uh, I feel like looking in a mirror. Sometimes she's the beautiful version of the mirror, but um, it is—it it really is—it's it, comforting to have somebody else that you can think and speak in those ways. And it's not well. What about this? And what about that? In terms of slowing it down, it's what do we do to enhance it? We have those conversations, but it's always uh, forward. Thinking as you say, in terms of the uh, in terms of the programming we were doing, the International Players Club really brought together a lot of the um, a lot of the leaders, the black leaders, uh, from across varying improv theaters, and we would just play together, and it was nice to have that opportunity to just play. Which is something that uh, with the Black and Funny Festival that John Gebertatios and Alce Bruno started uh, out of Minneapolis, that was my first experience of having that, of being in a room filled with black performers. And it's it's us. And the audience is, is mixed, but it's us on stage and our reference points are all like, we get you. Even though we've never played together, it, it's taking that experience that they idealistically exists for many people in improv but it just grounds it in a reality that in, in other improv spaces isn't always achieved.
0: It's grounded in a shared experience that might not be shared by Improv- well, is not shared by improvisers in, in, in general. In terms of, you talked about things that the community needs. What are some things that have been missing in a lot of improv communities that you've been working to provide?
1: Representation is the biggest and most obvious version of that. Uh, I like to support as many things that I see going on across the global improv community. But there are times where I look at it and go, oh, look at all those white people. But we know that there are black performers in most communities. Where are they on some of these thought leadership? pieces or even just conversations one of the one of the things that i had to do when people reached out for panels or for podcasts it's let's be very clear that this is not just me sharing my black experience conversation uh, and that's the only thing you focus on. Remember that I have experience as an improviser. I have an expe- I have experience as a technical person. I have experience in other, my my lived experiences so much more broad than any of the trauma or the obstacles that they have wanted to focus on. So in some cases, I don't get on some panels because you know I'm forthright about that, and that is what they were looking for. Uh, but I what I have found, especially since the pandemic, is it's broadened my access, it's broadened my opportunity. And if that's been true for me, I have helped to make that true for others as well. Changing the idea of, of who the default of what a show, you know, who needs to be in a show or who can do the show uh, in terms of genre, especially. I love that, uh, that Michael is doing uh, film noir from a, from a black perspective. Like, that's, yes, of course. Of course I do Star Trek improv and I don't pretend to not be black like I I am fully invested in who I am in all of my intersections in that way and to be able to give more people that opportunity to play those ways is so important I mean leading by example is powerful uh, because if nothing else, it, it gives people an opportunity to give themselves permission to explore the way they want.
0: You said to. opportunity and access. Is that really what's key here? In a lot of cases, there's uh, w- while people are
1: fumbling to figure out what equity means for their theaters, that that is a delay in the time of actually giving. The access in their theaters, so the Black Improv Alliance just does it, and you know, and so if we have to model it over here, so you can incorporate it over there. So be it. Uh, but uh, I mean, there's also outreach to work with any of the theaters that have asked for that request.
0: Well, how is that working? It looks like you're offering scholarships with other mm. with improv schools.
1: Absolutely. Uh, this started about a year ago, and uh, and since then, I, I believe there's, I mean, there's north of fifty theaters who are involved, and maybe up to sixty as of this recording. Uh, what we're looking to do, and that's that's great, but just full stop. That's great that that many theaters around the world have said yes, we acknowledge this. Yes, we are going to do the work to expand who can get into the workshop spaces, uh, and in in many cases they are also requesting facilitators, black facilitators. So it's not just representation in terms of the student body, but also the faculty body, which is amazing. Uh, In July, we will relaunch the program and and basically do a, a fresh start of, hey, for this time period, this was the goal. We have new goals and uh, and new ways to implement that uh, because you know improv loves heightening things. That's
0: true. How do theaters get involved with uh, the scholarship program that you have running?
1: At this point, they go to the blackimprovalliance.com page, fill out the form, uh, share the information that is requested there, select the level that they can commit to within the time period. We have different levels. Some people, because of their community, because of the uh, you know the demographics, it is a More difficult for them to achieve that, so you you know there are are lower conditions in those cases, and then in the more metropolitan uh, spots, uh, where underrepresentation is purely because of past administration versus access to those communities, uh, there are better challenges, and uh, and there are a number of theaters who have reached for that and achieved that goal.
0: I noticed that you're working with the nursery and how is that going? That's, that's, re- that's relatively recent, isn't it?
1: They both, in terms of timing, uh, they both officially were announced the same week. Uh, and, and in some ways it, it, it relates to a, a blog that I wrote that was a call to the, it was an open letter to the improv community to give free workshops to black people, period. And uh, all, and it offered a few tactics to allow for that to happen. Some of it is philosophy, uh, philosophy of being very uh, lockstep with capitalism, but uh, a lot of cases, it's just not acknowledging that reparations haven't happened; they're they're not happening, and this is an opportunity to be a leader in that way. As a result of that article, that blog. I, uh, I started to speak to more theaters. And, uh, and then, of course, with the BIA, that definitely helped. Uh, but I, I wanted to ensure that, that uh, the BIA promotion to, a, to having a title wasn't seen as a result of getting the nursery job, that they were, they were happening concurrently. But I, in my interview for the nursery, I was very bold and demanding of, you know, this will be something that I will seek to implement. This is not just a dream for me. I have lived uh, under the system as it previously was, and it's not robust enough. So let's let's do better. Uh, and that, let's follow up on our own promise of saying we want to do better. So let's actually do it. Yes, let's. And uh, and so they, they know that's the spirit with which I approach things. I, as much as I believe that to be true, that black people around the world deserve to have this access as part of our, our reparations, I am not only interested in promoting black performers. I think that other communities that have been previously marginalized deserve opportunities as well. So I look at my role with the nursery of inclusion and outreach of the how do we include and how do we do this outreach so that we can live in that ideal world where the community that you have come from isn't the only determinant of whether you're present or not and that you're seeing your stories represented in the various ways in the workshops in the performance in the management in your world uh, i love i love i mean i'm an Aquarian, so i love that idea of that you know we are the world we are the people we are you know kumbaya and all of those other like really hippie uh views on how we as a larger community can engage but I also think that it's fear and money that prohibit that more than anything else. If you talk to an individual, they're on board. Like, you know, as long as their scarcity isn't added to their world, they're on board with it. So it really is just a matter of how do we get these systems to that are entwined in capitalism to still act like they're not sometimes? We do it on stage. We pretend all the time that things are okay, and that you know, and that we have our backs, and that you know, the good intentions are enough. And we we do all of those kind of lovely things in other ways. But then in the back office, that's not true anymore. And I'm using a black I'm using a, a blanket statement. I'm not saying that every theater is this. No theater is doing work, and I, I'm not making those claims. I'm just saying for the work that I want to do, I want to continue to be proud of the work I do.
0: In terms of projects, things that you've been working on um, artistically, creatively, what have you mm-hmm. been working on lately? <laughs> uh, so many things. Since the uh, pandemic started,
1: uh, what I realized with the pandemic was I still had a lot of creative energy and I still had a, a need to do improv in a way that my uh, community at the time didn't have energy for, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to go solo. So I started doing solo musical improv, and as much as I love that, as soon as I developed a couple of ensemble shows, I was like, oh, no, no, like, I just, this is so much easier, so let's do this. One of those shows is called All Request Radio, it is, uh, the, it, it's a radio station, it is one hour of taking requests, which is just an opportunity for somebody to give us a suggestion of a title And we make up a song based on that, and uh, and we do all we use as many of the radio tropes as we can in terms of the energy flow, uh, getting different voices in there. We've uh, we've done a couple of impressions, and uh, and that's been fun. And then news, weather, and sports, and all of you know. And that's a point we'll probably have ads because capitalism, but. You know, I mean, they'll be fake ads. So you know, mm-hmm. so yay, screw capitalism. But um, that's one of the shows that I'm very proud that uh, that is out there in existence. Another one is I, I'm actually developing right now a fringe show for the Toronto Digital Fringe that's happening in July. So that is uh, it, my past fringe shows have had aspects of improv i'm not sure with this one how written i will get with it but i am using improv as my vehicle to generate uh, the content which is the second city model and it you know and it's there why not if if this if the idea that i generate sparks joy for me then i'm going to keep it and if it doesn't i don't have to it's my show so uh so I'm, that's something that's a thing i'm starting this weekend. Uh, to capture some of that content creation. And and those are the two very different sides uh, of creating for me at this point where I am seeking to do things with the community for the community versus doing things creatively for myself. Without getting into origin story I I would say that I spent uh, decades serving my partner making my partner look good. That was more important to me than how i felt about the scene how i felt in the scene what i what offers i was making to serve myself and i'm proud of that but i also learned that the more i took care of myself and the things i wanted to express and my political leanings beliefs what i felt was right in the universe the more that i leaned into that as a source of joy the more that I could then have nuanced scenes with my partner where they're expressing their character's perspective and mine and, you know, is there middle where we meet or is this antagonistic or are we peas in a pod or like there was just a lot more dynamicism to the reality or... It was just a really political or philosophical scene where we're just reveling in expressing this you know, shared opinion that is considered radical to, uh, to the rest of the scene.
0: Uh, the
1: community, I mean, and, and the world.
0: That's interesting. I, I relate to that a lot. I think that I went through a, a long period where I would, uh, I, I would characterize the way that I was playing as politely. I was playing, um, making space for other people a lot in improv scenes, and I think that is a huge growth moment when you realize what i the best thing I can give to my scene partner and to the audience right now is myself.
1: I. The other thing I, I realized uh, with that was, as polite as, as that was, it was coming from a, a space of people saying oh like you are such a giving partner and you're so good and i realized that even as i transformed how i played i was still getting that compliment so the fact that i was i was diminishing myself for their benefit so that they could shine was like that's where the scene wasn't as as amazing as it could i mean it was good scenes you know when they were good scenes <laughs> They're not all good scenes, but when when they were just okay, part of what was was the barrier was that diminishing. So now that I am doing that less, this well and the solo work and absolutely, I have to I have to uh, challenge myself on the what is the safe version of this and what is the like oh let's go there. And there are days I'm not there, days that I'm not giving brilliance. Uh, but I'm I get closer, and more often,
0: as a result. You are in Ottawa now.
1: I am. Yeah, I moved from Toronto, which is born and and raised. Uh, the majority of my life, I've I've lived a few other places. Moved to Ottawa primarily because of financial precarity. It was time to move somewhere that I could afford. Uh, but also because the thriving scene in Toronto is locked down with the pandemic, so if I can't see everybody anyway, then doesn't matter so much where I live. Ottawa for us isn't the terminal spot. I uh, I had lived in the in the last place for almost two decades, and I thought of it as my forever home. I didn't need to change that necessarily. But as soon as it was time for a change, I realized I don't need permanence in my housing in the way that I did. Obviously, I want to have a roof over my head, but it doesn't have to be that this is the only option. So the dream is honestly to move to the Netherlands. It's a dream because I don't know what the practical steps are to do that. I don't know where the money's going to come from. I don't know that they'll ever let us in. I don't know that the pandemic's ever really going to go away. But the dream and the the focus, the energy focus, is for us to someday be in the Netherlands. Until at, at the point where we move to Sweden or we move to somewhere warm or whatever that is so ottawa was a little bit of a there was a practicality to it but it also was idealistically we are moving further east
0: oh that's interesting i like that uh why the netherlands
1: Oh, uh, why not though netherlands chris <laughs> it's so uh one thing i've, I've learned about myself in the uh, the little amount of traveling that i've enjoyed is that the cities that have a river running through it energetically feel better to me. I've I've been in many cities that don't, and they're okay, they're cities. But the ones that have access to that flowing water, as it turns out, Ottawa is one of those places, so uh, we're still on on track with that. And when we went to Netherlands, of course, you know, they have water everywhere it's uh, it's almost half water some you know depending on which bridge you're looking over Amsterdam was lovely it, and, and it's a tourist city for the most part so it has a it has a very international flavor to it just by the virtue of how many people are coming through but on my honeymoon we had an opportunity to to go to some of the other cities that ex- that are there uh, we loved Utrecht which is the original capital of of Netherlands before it moved uh I think to the Hague and uh and so that was like oh like if we could live here where it is still a city it is still modern in many ways and has cobblestones and has you know still has that international flair but just look at it so picturesque this country is older than my country so there you know that that feeling of history and modern
0: meeting up yeah um,
1: have, yeah.
0: Have you? Uh, yeah, I I really relate to the, uh, to enjoying a place that has history. Mm. Uh, I I went to a city in Florida called Celebration, Florida, that was created by Disney. Have you ever heard of this place? No. It's Imagineered, so there's a w- strange mix of uh, architectural styles across the town, uh, but. It feels very man-made and very artificial. And then the houses started rotting, apparently, and the school district failed. So, <laughs> whereas I'm from I'm from Western Pennsylvania, uh, my town was uh, established before the United States was established. Uh, I'm from the birthplace of the oil industry. Um, I like I mean I don't care for the oil industry, but it's it led to a lot of interesting things happening in this area. So I really do. Uh, I like being in a place that feels like it's lived in that there are, that it's just filled with the ghosts of of the past in some ways. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, uh, so Netherlands just as a generic like I know it's a country. So there are a few options for us. Feels like. It, at least directionally moving to uh, Scandinavia that's that's going to be home it's it's the place where people land before they go on to somewhere else Sweden is not off the list for us it's just expensive but in terms of their social programs it's so high up there uh, and Canada has, is comparable in many ways in fact they've, they flip spots from time to time but uh, again when we landed in Stockholm like just, it was so picturesque the uh, the pier as we're coming in and the light and I think that the sun is one of the greatest marketers of any city like having good weather when you land into a new spot oh hard not to feel like oh this is amazing so the Netherlands is just it's the next I guess like if we're looking for like goal mark goal posts it's the next big one for me.
0: I visited uh, Amsterdam a few years ago uh, I was teaching for imp- Impro Amsterdam, the festival. Mm. That's the, the entirety of my Netherlands experience. But I really did love the, s- the city. I do love the, uh, the flowing water and the, the bridges. It just feels like a, a city full of movement. And mm. it kind of makes sense that the, that the uh, Van Gogh Museum oh. is there. Because there's so much movement just in his art, so so, but it's not that city in particular. It's just the Netherlands. You feel like it's a good place potentially to to launch or to to land next.
1: I went to Amsterdam as part of a, a separate trip, and and I spent um, eight nine days there. So I did the museum tour. I bought the museum pack and went through as many of those as I could. So I, I definitely went to Van Gogh, uh, and I liked it. And my second time there, I went. Oh, right. Okay, I mean, that, there was a little new car smell to it. It's like, yeah, I liked it, but I didn't love it in the way that when we uh, when we walked through Utrecht or when we walked through Harlem or Dam. Uh, Rotterdam, Rotterdam, Rotterdam?
0: I think it's Rotterdam. I think it was
1: really rainy the day that we went there so it was kind of rotten Uh, so that has stuck in my mind but even that was like it was nice and uh, and to be have the opportunity to spend more time there would help decide which city was the best fit for us Um, so it may not be it may be Amsterdam
0: it may be does uh, an existing improv community factor into your decisions when you consider about where you're going to live next
1: Well, it it factored into the consideration for Ottawa, because uh, there were other cities that we looked at for various reasons. And and my partner and I both had the same reaction of, we could. And then when Ottawa came up, it was, uh, both of our eyes lit up. Uh, for, for we both have a little bit of a community here. They're they're a sewist a sewist, so they have access to a sewist community here. I uh, yeah, a, a community sewist people who sew, people who make their own clothes or make their own use fabric in ways to you know make the world better. Uh, so having access to that definitely was a bonus to uh, to choosing Ottawa. And even though. Ottawa's also in lockdown, so the community is not as thriving as it was pre-pandemic. Knowing that they're here, knowing that there are people who are already on board with what improv can offer, and you don't have to explain to them that it's not stand-up, or that it's not all pre-written. Right. I do I do find that having access to that whether I will be involved or not because I don't leave my place so mm-hmm. the going out and doing things I don't know that I'm ready for that myself but knowing that it exists just to me it is a gold star for the location. So if I were to move to Netherlands or when I move to Netherlands mm-hmm. to be positive about it, then Amsterdam is higher rated than a city that doesn't have it. But I, but also just uh, just to keep on that thought. The thing that I experienced in Europe in general is how close these major cities truly are to each other. For Canada, for me to go from here to the other end of the country is like it's an it's an air flight. It's like a 4-hour air flight. To be able to do that it, or it's a four-hour drive between Toronto and Ottawa is a four and a half five-hour drive it's not close so to, to have to be able to put like you can put various parts of Europe in various provinces in Canada and they all fit versus so that proximity is, is just different and so yeah. even if even if it turned out that we lived in Harlem okay so that's a seven minute A train ride to Amsterdam. Okay, we can do that.
0: I'm very enamored with Europe. I would love to live there myself someday. I do love how much you can travel more easily. Been astonishing. I've learned a lot more about Canada in, in during the pandemic. I, as a citizen of the United States, I don't think we understand the shape of Canada and also where people live because it's, it seems like most of, uh, most Canadians live within 200 miles of the United States border. And that's true. all of the cities are, are near the border, um, but it is, it's very spread out. To, to understand that Ottawa and Toronto are four hours apart really uh, clarifies a, a lot, I think. That's a big difference. So it's, you are in Ottawa and to go someplace else, that's a commitment.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's and it can be done. There are people who do it. I remember in in the old days I'd fly up to Ottawa for a weekend to see some friends and then fly back to work and Yeah, you could do it. But it is not a regular everyday commute for ninety nine percent of Canadians. Uh yeah, I would I would have Americans say, Oh well, I mean Calgary's just up there, so you could probably hop over to Calgary and I'm like, Well, I could, but then I might as well stay for a week to make it worth it because it's then a, you know, a flight back to my world. It's not close.
0: Another thing I've learned during the pandemic is the about the improv cultures in Canada. It seems more ingrained than in the United States. It seems like it's more available to people than in the United States. Improv.
1: Yeah, I don't I I don't know. I don't know the statistics of that. I do know that we have like the Canadian Improv Games or whatever they're calling themselves now. Uh, I think that's similar to the Improv Olympics. I O. So I think that. I think that there is more acceptance of it earlier. Uh, you know so maybe that's part of that access I don't know and I don't know the history of the states enough to know mm-hmm. why it went where it did maybe it's because of their proximity to the Canadian border that they had access to more improv or not I, I'm not sure about that but I also wonder how much in colonial Canada there is uh, it's just philosophically similar to some of the other ways that we, treat each other which is assume good intentions you know all, the, all of that stuff it, it feels like I mean for us it's instead of yes and maybe it's yes a I don't know you
0: know I hear more about um, improv being in high schools in Canada I hear and and then you've got French speaking Canada that has their styles of improv and then you've got more Johnstone approaches uh, yeah. in in the English speaking parts of the country um, are you uh, were you brought up in the Johnstone methods or, or oh yeah
1: so yeah and when I say I don't know I just to me you're right that is the default it is the default that people get involved in high school or fairly soon after that it is uh, ubiquitous if you're if you're in uh, if you're in a region that supports theater in any way and that may be one theater. A teacher in the classroom who is like gung ho for more than uh, you know, more than just Shakespeare. So, yeah, I to, to, to say that it, we have more access than Americans is like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that's Canadian <laughs> part. Uh, I'm sorry that it's not just you don't just have it because uh, it, it is a boon to any art form.
0: That's great. I No, I just, I, I'm envious. I think that's really wonderful. I, I discovered improv in college, and to think that I could have maybe, uh, other than watching Whose Line Is It Anyway, to get involved with something earlier on, uh, I think would have been amazing, because I th- obviously it, it's great for communication skills and empath- empathy. Um, so I have been so excited to hear about the improv cultures in other Countries, other places around the world.
1: Uh, me too. I, I, uh, I'm sure that we are part of similar Facebook groups to see this. I, but I remember seeing a thread where people were talking about the different influences. Have Johnson and Spolin, obviously, uh, for North America, but that there are other influences, and I found that thread fascinating. Not that I didn't know some of those influences, but I didn't realize how much the north american perspective had gone across to other regions but also how there of course there are other ways of accessing improv like improv existed before we had a name for improv right right? um but that very much the colonial perspective is not the only one and that will be my continuing exploration as well Mm -hmm. Uh, because I'm not going to not be locked down for a while, so I do have a little bit of time to, to reach out. And, and the communities that, that we're part of, I feel, have been really good for helping you connect with other people who are, have those kind of curiosities and are willing to, to express that, rather than having to depend on just a library.
0: What are some of the things you've discovered in, during the pandemic? Uh,
1: I I, uh, I connected with the one of the things that got me connected with the global community was the Bangalore community. Uh, it, I tuned into the fundraiser that they held uh, last year. And went oh first of all I didn't know about some of the American uh, people that were out there but I'm really glad to see the Bangalore community just just hitting it and just and the fact that they went for 24 hours or however long it was was like so commendable Uh, so to see their style and to engage with them and hear how much they were for some of them it was book learning to the stage, versus ha- or or some of them had access to specific uh, teachers that had come over, but otherwise they were using like playback theater as their yes. basis versus you know pure improv that was I, I knew about playback but i hadn't really engaged in it over the time but to know it's like well of course of course you would use that as a fundamental if you have access or or like with lakshmi to have uh, to have movement to have dance as a driver uh more than the spoken was like well of course you do uh so that's that is another way to bring Um, your culture and other parts of your identity into the performance. Uh,
0: Yeah, I would agree. Bangalore really took some prominence uh, during the pandemic. People just were amazed to see what had been growing. The pandemic has really connected so many of us in a time when we felt so isolated otherwise. And it's been really lovely to encounter you and other people from canada to see the to see so much more canadian improv um and and, and yeah so much of asia has opened up the, in ways that i, I just i, I wouldn't would have never had the opportunity to see before this before absolutely this, before this horrific thing <laughs> otherwise uh it's been such a gift to meet so many new people such as yourself
1: i really i i, I strongly believe the internet democratizes that there have been improv festivals around the world mm-hmm. for years, for decades, I haven't been able to afford that, or I haven't had the time right. or awareness. Right. And the internet brought that awareness to my front door. Uh, you know, once you connect to one community and you find out, oh, other people are connecting into that same community. Well, where are they from? And you can follow those those breadcrumbs. Uh, to their communities as well. I am so thankful that uh, more festivals or former festivals have started to produce online so that it's not exactly the same but it's closer than having nothing and it means that that awareness again grows. I, I keep saying how much I'm locked down and you know, and I'm not going anywhere, but I have started to get a little bit of that. I hope someday to be able to join some of these festivals and to be in the room with some of these new found friends.
0: I think that's a great place to uh, transition into the final part of this podcast, which is the resources section. Uh, And so I want to recommend uh, today, I'm going to recommend The Like Switch, uh, which is a book by Jack Schaefer, PhD. Uh, it's a former FBI agent's guide to influencing, attracting, and winning people over. Uh, why I like this book is that it's very good at uh, explaining how to be charming, how to uh, get somebody to, how to get somebody to like you, how to get somebody to trust you, um, just how to be a friend is a big part of this book. Uh, just even down to there's a lot of great uh, photographs of body language. Uh, For people that are not great at understanding and deciphering body language, I think this is a really helpful resource. Um, And it's interesting to have that all be uh, depicted via former FBI missions, such as um, one of my favorite stories in the book is there was a diplomat that worked for the United Nations, and they wanted to get this diplomat to work with the FBI. And so what they did was they stationed an agent along this diplomat's path during lunch every day. The diplomat would always go to a grocery store to pick up lunch every single day, and so they stationed an agent. Agent would be reading a newspaper probably. And then they would increase the frequency with which the agent would appear. The agent would appear closer and closer to the grocery store, then eventually in the grocery store, and then eventually one day they both reached for the same can but by that time over six months the diplomat had already convinced his wife i should probably work with the fbi i've i've seen this agent around i think i need to work and so it was just this increase of uh number of times of duration of closeness and it worked and he worked with the fbi and it's just a fascinating read and it's actually a really easy read so i highly recommend it again that's the like switch by jack Schaefer, phd is there uh, what what do you have that you can recommend to improvisers today
1: i want if you haven't already viewed the show i please 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 give yourself the opportunity to watch stephen universe oh yeah it is it is geared toward children supposedly but it's really not it is an example of how you can be inclusive, how you can have difficult conversations, how you can be okay with not being okay, and how you can be an individual, how you can be different and unique and that and shining a light on that rather than trying to be what somebody else is. So important, so powerful. Oh I and agree. And it has music in there almost every episode, if not every other episode. The episodes are really short, so they're accessible in that way as well. Uh, I love it. And one of the catchphrases that, uh, that Steven has is, why didn't you tell me you can do these things? And then the discovery of you know the self-empowerment that comes along with that.
0: I'm a huge Steven Universe fan. I'm constantly singing this song called Giant Woman. Mm. which is just about wanting to see two people fuse into a giant woman. Uh, And I used to sing it to my nephew all the time uh, (laughs) when he was a baby, but I I love it. Like you said, it is short. The episodes are 11 minutes long. I couldn't get into it at first, and then I became one of the biggest Steven Universe fans. It takes a couple episodes to find its footing, and then once it does, there's going to be episodes where you're crying. There are yes. going to be episodes where you're scared or you're, uh, you know, really concerned for the characters. And it's just a silly cartoon at times, but it has such heart and depth of storytelling. I think that's a really great recommendation, Velvet.
1: Thank you very much.
0: It has been a really wonderful conversation with you, and I th- uh, it was a, a great recommendation in Steven Universe. Thank you so much, Velvet, for joining me today. Thank you, Chris. So that's Velvet Wells. You can find info on his upcoming projects at his Facebook page. We're sponsored by Pineapple, the video app for live performance located at get.pineapple.studio. Improv discussion resources, as always, is produced by me, Chris Griswold, for Thunderbolt Comedy. Virtual and in-person classes and in improv and sketch comedy at thunderboltcomedy.com. Discuss this episode in the Facebook group and Discord. Links for these and everything we discussed are in the show notes. Our theme music is Earth's Assault on the Central AI by TEDx, courtesy of TEDx. You can find more of their music at tedx.bandcamp.com. See you next time on Improv Discussion and Resources.